Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians this morning in a series called The Joyful Life. Paul is uh, teaching us as Christians how to be joyful in all things, and as we'll see this morning, there is, uh, his, his testimony of this is not untried. He's been tried greatly, and yet he still says, even in the midst of writing this, he's being tried cr- tremendously, and yet he says, be joyful in all things. We'll see here. Uh, once you made your way, stand with me, and we're going to read our text this morning, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at verses 14 through 18 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Actually, let's begin in verse 12 to kind of give some context. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we are excited to hear what you would say to us. Even though this was penned some 2,000 years ago, it is very relevant to us this morning. There is a message that you want to speak to us about. Would you help us to not shield our hearts from your Holy Spirit today? God, we... We give you permission even now to to just go right into the areas where we need to change. Speak right into the areas of our life, Lord, where we uh, need speaking into today. Encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us, change us, Lord. That's our prayer, and we thank you that your word is equipped to do that this morning by the power of your spirit through the blood of your son. And it's in his name we pray, amen. In the late 1870s, Thomas Edison took on a project that would bring light to the world. Although he wasn't the very first one to do this, he was the very first one to produce a sustainable incandescent light bulb using a carbonized bamboo filament. And this technology has been used and improved on, and it's, because it's what we now have light, the kind of light we have, although it's changed, started there with Thomas Edison and the incandescent light bulb. It has brightened up the darkness that has once consumed us. The title of my message this morning is Incandescent Christianity. For you see, much like the incandescent light bulb that was used to illuminate dark places, so too ought our Christianity light up the darkness that exists in our world today. We are called to be incandescent. That word literally means to glow, to bring a glow into a dark place. Jesus Christ, 
who is the radiant glory of God, who came down, who was the light of the world, now lives in you. Therefore, there's light that wants to come out of you. You're called to be incandescent. And Paul wants us to understand what that means for us this morning. Listen, the world ought to be a brighter place when you walk in the door. Is it? When you walk into a place, you ought to light it up a little bit. Why? Because you have Jesus in you. You know, uh, far too often we see the examples, particularly that make it on TV, that, that the news media love to pick up on is the Christian who is not a Christian at all. The person who says they're light and is not light at all or who's so, you know, either legalistic or liberal that they don't represent Christ at all. And yet those are the ones that are presented to the world. Why? Because the world wants to stay in their darkness. They don't want to see true light. And yet Jesus said, you be the light as I am the light anyway. You're called to light up the world that will become an attractant to the world, much like a porch light, you know, with moths and, and bugs. They flock to the light. They are attracted to the light. So too is the Christian who allows Jesus Christ to shine through them in a proper way, in the right way, that the world becomes attracted to that light. Now, I know you want to think that they're attracted to your incredible personality, and I'm sure you're a great person, but that's not what they're attracted to. I am sure that you want to think that it's maybe your incredible looks, that people are just like, wow, that person looks like a movie star. Why should look at that? No, in fact, if we're doing this right, people should be able to see Jesus in you. They shouldn't be able to see you at all. We are called to shine our lights into a hopeless and dark world. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house in the same way. Let your light so shine, or let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is the call of the Christian. Let your light so shine that the world will see your good works and they will give glory to who? You? No, to the Father. You see, we're sim simply mirrors that, that, that reflect light and reflect glory. That's what we're called to do. You know, it, it, it's much like a, a lighthouse, how it works, reflecting the light out into the darkness so that people can see. That's you and I. We are simply a lighthouse. Jesus is the light, and we're mirroring that light and allowing the beam to shine in dark places. And what happens? It illuminates for people to see. It leads people, listen, out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what you and I are called to do. What an incredible privilege it is for us to be called light to the world. I don't know if you consider this a privilege or not, but I consider it a great privilege that God would say, hey, I want to use you to represent me. You're my ambassador. I'm going to set you in a place, and I'm going to allow you to beam for me so that people can see me. He wants to use you that way. Is that amazing? We were in, we were in prayer this morning, and I was just praying, God, I can't believe that you can use me. I can't believe that you can use us. It's amazing. It, don't ever let that thought, that phenomenon escape you 
that God can use you. Listen, don't think of yourself so less that God can't use you, but also don't think of yourself so much that God can't use you. God can use you, and he will use you. As Paul is saying, if you remain humble. That's what he's talking about in Philippians chapter 2, about humility and how humility relates to one another in, in a body and also how humility uh, relates to the world. And he gave that incredible example of what Jesus did, how he humbled himself and became obedient to death. For who? For other lights? No. For the darkness. That's what he did for you and I. He came, he came as light into a dark place so that you and I could be led out of our darkness into marvelous light. And now he has called you to go back into the world and do the same thing. The problem is that many, many Christians don't recognize that they are called to be light. Many, many Christians think that, you know, and, and I don't know if they're Christians or not, but many, many people think that, that they're simply here to go to heaven. That's it. I, I'm done. I, 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 ex I said the prayer. I'm ready for heaven, Lord. No, you're not. If that's what you think, you're not. And are you sure you're in Christ? Mike gave a great message last week on what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian, and how you can even fool yourself into being something that maybe you're not. It was a great, great message. Good job. But I did bring my Bible, Mike, unlike you last week. But anyway, <laughs> it was an awesome message, man. Praise God for that. But, but here's the thing is, we, we cannot be light and live in darkness. It doesn't work. Reminds me of a story I heard about a lady that was sitting in a stoplight. And she was, two, she was one car beyond the, the intersection, and the car in front of her, the light turned green. And you know how we do, because we're so incredibly patient people, and we, we like to be, you know, remind people, hey, the light's green, so we give them a little beep. It's just a love, love tap, beep, beep. You know, and, and we're waiting for them to go. And the man does not respond to her little love tap. She goes, oh, well, maybe he didn't hear me. So she gives a little bit more of a boisterous honk. The guy doesn't look down. He doesn't look up from his phone. He's just sitting there at the intersection. And she, she's starting to think, like, this guy, what is he doing? Hey, hey, will you move your car? The, the light screen. The guy does not respond to anything. The light turns yellow. The guy looks up, and he speeds off and leaves her at a red light. At this point, she is letting the bird fly. She's letting profanity come out of her mouth. A policeman off to the side sees him, sees her acting like this, comes with his gun drawn and says, ma'am, get out of the car. Put your hands up. You're under arrest. And he takes her down to the, uh, to the office, to the precinct there, and he puts her in a holding cell. For about two hours, she's sitting there, and she's like, what is going on here? Why did this guy arrest me? And he comes back in, and he says, Ma'am, I'm incredibly sorry for what I've done. I, I, I misinterpreted, uh, you know, what was happening in that moment. You see, I saw the fish on your car. I saw the bumper sticker that said, follow me to Sunday school. I saw the, the, the cross dangling from your rearview mirror, and I assumed that you had stolen the car. Now, what would give him that indication? You see, the message that was coming in, from inside the car did not match the message that was on the outside of the car. It is incredible. She, her, her mannerisms didn't match her message. Her decals didn't match her demonstration. 
she was having what many Christians have, a total eclipse of the light, not of the heart. That's a different thing. That's a different song. A total eclipse of the light. The light was being blocked. There was an object between her, the light, and the world, and she looked just like the world because darkness, uh, is, it blocks light. Unfortunately, many Christians are that way. And Jesus is calling us to something brighter, something better. He's calling us to be his representatives, to shine as incandescent light bulbs do in this world. Paul wants to show us four things from our text this morning about how to shine the brightest for Jesus. First, we notice in verse 14, Paul says we have to be protons, not electrons. What do I mean? I'll show you in a second. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, we use light in our culture for all kinds of things. We, we, we use it for, for, for all kinds of purposes, but it's primarily meant to accent. It's primarily meant to, to, to illustrate or to illuminate, and it's used also to affect our mood. Did you know that? That light affects our mood. And in fact, many, many people during the winter months, they fall into this category or this, this syndrome called SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Now, maybe that's you. You start to get a little bit depressed when the, 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 the cloud cover comes, when it looks a little gloomy outside. He's getting, giving me an amen right now. But uh, <laughs> listen, you know what I'm talking about. When it's raining for days on end, do you not feel that? Do you not feel that? The, but and it, yet, when the light comes out, the sun beams down, then you're like, oh, man, this is awesome. In fact, they built, they built sun bulbs for that reason. During the winter months or whatnot, people get under that, the sun bulb. It's, it's a white light that's meant to be similar to the sunlight, and it's meant to affect your mood. And, it, and according to science, it works. The, the reality is that light affects the way that we see things. It affects the way that we feel. If you want to be happy, get in the light. If you want to be happy, get in the light. And it's not just sunlight, it's sun, S-O-N, light. That's the kind of light that we need if we want to experience true joy and true happiness. Now, contrary to popular belief, the church should not change its values or its principles to reach the world because that's the light that God is using to reach dark people dark places, into dark places. The church cannot change its values. If the church becomes gloomy and dark to match the world, then we've lost our purpose. And unfortunately, that's happening. People are, are, for, people are foregoing the values and principles of God's word in the effort to not be so, what do they say? Churchy. Not be so churchy. And, you know, I used to say that a lot. Oh, we're not super churchy people. Um, be careful about how you use that. Because, you know what, we're called to be churchy people. Do you know that? Light in the church should be churchy. Uh, when you go to, you know, any other place, you go to McDonald's, you don't go into McDonald's to get a filet mignon. You go in there specifically for something, for a a Big Mac or a quarter pounder or something. You're not going in there expecting something else. 
Why should the church change so that the world can come in and ex expect something darker than expecting full gospel light? If we change our principles and values as church, and we don't... Now, again, you know, churchy can be used in a way of legalism. It can be used in a way of that. But, but literally, people should expect to come in and be hit by light. Should they not? Is that not why we're here? To reflect the glory of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. If we change that, we miss the, the, the whole point of us gathering this morning. It's to see the sun. It's not to see a band. It's not to see a, a, a teacher, a preacher, a, 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 somebody giving a message. It's to see Jesus. And if we miss it and if we start to change things so that people can feel comfortable in their chairs and they don't want to feel the light then you know what? We've totally missed the point. I was reading an article about that this, uh, this last week about being churchy. We should be churchy. We shouldn't change. Listen, we should adapt with the times. Yes, absolutely. It's okay to have concrete floors and, you know, light, stage lighting and all of that kind of stuff. That's fine. If it doesn't detract from Jesus Christ... But the moment we start to change something to detract from Jesus to become a little bit more relevant, as it were, that's where we start to err. And there's plenty of people doing that. We need to stick to the true values of the Bible that bring the true light of the gospel to a dark world, folks. It's exactly what we need to be. We need to what? Be protons, not electrons. Protons are positively charged. Electrons are negatively charged. When protons and neutrons come together, they, they attract each other and they react, and all of a sudden you have what? Light. There's a neutron in there too, but let's not talk about that. You cannot be a neutron in the church or the world. You're either an electron or you're a proton. Here's the thing. Did you know electrons, similarly charged, will de their deterrence from each other? Do you know that? So you think by being an electron in the church, changing it, changing the church to become like the world so that they can walk in and not feel so churchy that they're going to be attracted to that? No. They need something greater than a 30-minute experience. They need a life change, and how else can they get that except for the gospel light to come forward? Now, we have to create an environment in the body that is not a negative experience, though. We don't want to be electrons in the body of Christ because Christ came for you. You should be excited about that. You should be positive. And therefore, as Paul says, you should not be someone who is partaking of grumbling and complaining. You should be a positively charged uh, church body, a positively charged person going into the world that doesn't allow the circumstances to affect their mood. Oh, oh, man, is that hard. And I'll tell you why. Because the flesh is alive. And the flesh wants to live in negativity. You're naturally negative. Do you know that? You natural, that's why we love negative news. We flocked, oh, I got to see that. And then you watch like six other channels to get more negativity. You know, like, oh, man, what are they saying over here? What are they saying over here? Oh, get on my computer. I got to see what they're, what are they saying? And then you're all worked up. You did it to yourself. I'm sorry. It's your fault. How do you stay positive in a negative environment? 
You get yourself out of the negative environment. Some of you guys put yourself in a negative situation and you're taking in negative information. You think you're going to be positive. You will not. You need to take the positive information of the Word of God into your life and you need to give the positive information of the Word of God out to the people. And that is it. Yes, we need to stay in tune with the news. We need to understand that the, the things, the culture that we live in and the things that are going on. But if you get yourself so wrapped up into it, you will become just like the world and you will eclipse your light. Be careful with politics. Be careful with your opinions and of how you air them on social media platforms and whatnot. Be careful about how you interact with people because we're going to see that people are watching. What are they seeing? Are they seeing the lady in the car that's flying the bird with the Christian symbols in the back? What are they seeing? Paul says, do nothing. Do all things, rather, without grumbling or disputing. That word in the Greek, all, literally means all. Did you know that? It means all. That means even the hard stuff. That means even the negative stuff. That means everything that you will encounter in your life you should not complain about. If you really believe what the Bible says, and not just about the cross and what Jesus did for you, but if you believe further, if you're into the meat of the Word of God and you understand that every circumstance and every situation is meant to be in your life for a reason, that God is using it to shape you and change you to make you become more like Jesus, and sometimes that's hard for us to comprehend because there's lots of hard stuff that we have to go through in life, which God may not orchestrate, but He uses it's important you understand that. But he uses everything for his own end. He can use all things to create, a, a, you know, a, an opportunity for you to be shaped and changed, to become more like Jesus. Therefore, it, how do we react to all things? In a positive manner. Without grumbling or disputing. That word grumbling literally means to murmur or complain. Do you remember the children of Israel? Remember the incredible thing that God did with the children of Israel after 10 plagues in Egypt? And then he takes them out of Egypt. He leads them out after the 10th plague, after the angel of death had come down and all. And Pharaoh says, get those people out of here. He lets them go, and they find themselves backed up to the Red Sea. And now they're in fear mode again. They just saw 10 plagues hit Egypt. Like they're thinking like, oh, man, I don't think God can do anything about this. They just saw miracles, right? Ten times much like you and I, by the way. And they find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation. <laughs> and I, I, I'm pretty sure this is how it went down. Moses looks at the people, and he looks at the sea, and he doesn't know anything else but to do, and he just goes, and God goes, oh. he had nowhere else to go. He had nothing else to do but go vertical. He could do nothing about this situation. And yet, he did the one thing that he could do. He went vertical. And when he lifted up his arms, the, the, the seas parted. Now, maybe the sea's not parting in your situation because you're still horizontal and you're not vertical yet. Get vertical. Go to the Lord. He's the one that can, he can do all things. And the Bible says you can do all things through Christ. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. But these guys, they get, they get on the other side, right? 
not but a couple days into it, they come to a place called Mara in Exodus chapter 15, and they start complaining. Man, what did you bring us out here? No water. This water's bitter, man. What are, you t- what are you doing, Lord? You know, they start complaining. They start murmuring. <laughs> God gives them water from Mara. He causes Moses to throw in a piece of wood or something, and it turns to where they could drink it. It's sweet. The water's sweet. Next chapter, chapter 16 in Exodus. They start to grumble about their lack of food. Did God bring us out here to starve? I mean, what are we supposed to do? Man, at at least in Egypt, we had food to eat. We're out here starving. And then (laughs) they're complaining and murmuring to God who just parted the sea, who just did 10 miracles to get them out of Egypt, parted the sea, gave them water and mara. They're still complaining about food. So the Lord, what? He gives them food. He gives them quail that drop from the sky, and he closed the, the morning dew with what's called manna, bread from heaven. And they go out and collect it and they eat it. So God has met their demands, as it were. (laughs) Fast forward to chapter 17. They're back to complaining and grumbling about water again. We're in the desert here, man. Where's the water? And remember what happened. The rock was struck and water came out so that they could drink. It was an illustration about Jesus Christ, what he would be struck once. The fact of the matter is that because of this murmuring and complaining, they, it put them in a habitual state of never looking to God first, but complaining and murmuring first. And so when they get to the promised land, to the, to the edge of the promised land, and they look over, and the spies go into the land, you remember what happened? They all came back and complained more. In Numbers chapter 14, they're like, man, these people are so big. There's no way that we can, I think God has made a mistake. He's putting us in a situation. We're supposed to go against these people? God had had enough. You know what he does? He judges these people. They don't, no one from that generation that came out of Egypt went into the promised land because they were murmurers and complainers. They didn't get to go into the promised land. They missed the blessing of God because they were so focused on the negative that they couldn't see the positive. They were being electrons rather than being protons. They couldn't see what God was doing, and because they couldn't see what he was doing, they they rather stayed on the horizontal rather than just believing vertically that God was going to do something. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're an electron no matter what. Maybe it's negative, negative, negative. doesn't matter what God's doing in your life. It's just there's something negative about it. I've got to look for the, the absolute negative thing in, in my situation. If, that, if God's convicting you, then listen, stop it. He's given you his Holy Spirit, and I'm speaking to me. The Lord convict me of this this week, man. Dude, you complain too much. You need, you need to listen to this, man. Do all things, would you? Stop complaining. Not only that. But he says, stop disputing. What does that mean? That means to argue. You ever argue with God? That is stupid. <laughs> that is not a, not a good move at all. I'm trying to argue with the Lord. If, you have, if you're a parent here and you have kids, you know what, that, what disputing is, right? Your kids love to dispute with you because they're smarter than you. I don't know if you know that. They are. When my, my son, my oldest son, he's 19, 
when he was like 10 or, you know, 8 or 10 or something, this kid would argue about everything, no matter what it was, so much so that my dad used to call him the attorney. You know, every time something would happen, I'd say, hey, go clean your room. Uh-oh, the attorney's coming out. My dad would just start making jokes about it because my son did love to dispute, and he was pretty compelling at times. But this disputing over all things that God is in control of, who are you disputing with, really? You're disputing with the Lord. Remember when Job did that? That didn't go well. <laughs> you can read the, the response of God in Job chapter 38 where God goes, hey, Job, let me drop some infinite wisdom on you. Where were you when, when I created all of this? Where were you when I was, you know, in, in the midst of doing all these things? Listen to me. And, and he's not discounting his difficulty. He's not discounting the difficult thing that he's going through. What he's saying is, man, you've got to look to the right place. And although he worshipped God, although he worshipped God and then he had his, his electron buddies that would, you know, were feeding all the negativity, you know, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. And truly, it was God doing something in his life. Does he even understand it? No. And maybe you don't either. You don't understand why you are where you are. But the wrong thing to do is to start arguing with God. The wrong thing to do is start shaking your fist at God and saying, why are you doing this to me? What, why are you allowing this? Because he's trying to make you more like Jesus, period. Listen, when you're in the unknown like that and you have no idea about what God's doing, just chalk it up to him making you more like Jesus, okay? Can you do that? Just, hey, you know what? I, God's making me more like Jesus. Put a smile on your face. He's making you more like Jesus, and it's not to discount the difficult things that we will go through. Are we going to go through hard things? Yeah. But here's the one thing that you can hold on to is that God is for you, that he's for you, that he loves you, that he's at work, that he knows what he's doing, that he's in control of every circumstance that you're walking through, and that he's using it for, for his purpose. And you can, you can rest in that. You don't have to know anything more. All you have to know is that he's for you and that he's at work. And you can live on your knees just saying, God, that's enough for me. He's given you enough in his word. He's given you enough reason to do that. In all the different examples that he's shown you in your life and in the life of many, many other people, the thing is, is application, isn't it? It's all about applying it. It's about choosing in the moment to say, Lord, your grace is sufficient for my weakness. You know and I'm going to choose to worship you in these moments. And I'm going to choose to believe you, uh, that you're for me. And I'm going to choose to believe your word in these moments. How can you do that? You can't do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do that. Listen, the Holy Spirit will not lead you down a negative path. He will never lead you down a sorry, a poor me path. The Holy Spirit will always lead you vertical and he'll always lead you into a positive place. He leads you into what? All truth. He leads you into all truth. He leads you into a place of peace. So you rely on the Holy Spirit to help you in these moments. God loves you. He's for you. Listen, be careful that you don't shield your light in these circumstances. That's what Paul's telling them. And listen, if there's anybody that should be complaining at this point in time, it should be Paul. He's in prison as he writes this. For the sake of the gospel, 
he's in prison and he says, man, just be positive. Keep your eyes up. You keep looking at Jesus and you keep walking his way. And you let your light shine no matter where you are. That's why James said in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. James understood it too, that God's at work. He's making you more like Jesus. So count it all joy. Be positive. Don't be negative in every situation. Now, as we move on in verse 15, we see that also Paul wants to, us to understand not only are we to ca called to be protons and not electrons, but we are also called to be in the world and not of the world. He goes on here in verse 15 that you, listen, he, he, let's start in verse Verse 14, again, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom sh you shine as lights in the world. Do you see the transition word there? That or so that or, or in order that you might what? You might become blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. In other words, again, he just got done talking about obedience. In verses 12 through uh, 13, 12 and 13, he's talking about obedience. And then he says, do all things without, you know, grumbling or complaining. And then so that you become to the world somebody that looks blameless and innocent, somebody that looks like a child of God without blemish. That is the purpose. Your obedience becomes light to people. Do you know that? That incandescent Christianity doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of obedience to the Lord. The more you're obedient to God, the more you shine for the Lord. That's what Paul is trying to help us understand. Let your light so shine that they might see what? Your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When you submit yourself to obedience to God and you walk in the works that he created for you before the foundation of the world... When you walk in those good works, the world sees those things and they go, oh man, glorify the Lord. They, they look up because they know you. They know what you're capable of. And it can't be you, it has to be him, right? That's the point. He's telling us, listen, be blameless, innocent, because the world is watching us. The world is looking at us. And if we're no different than the world, then there's no testimony you understand? There, there's no, there is no, hey, Christ is so great in your life, I want him in my life. If you look the identical to the world, there's no change. There is no contrast. You know, and the world doesn't want, if the world, world doesn't want, to, want the same thing they already have, which is hopelessness. They need light. They want light. Jesus told us like this in John chapter 14, John 17, 14 through 19. He said, I have given them your word that the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. That's his prayer. He goes on. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So, so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you are called into a, a dark world that is going to reject you, 
but yet you still need to shine your light. He sent you into the world, but you're not of the world. You see, if you begin to reflect the same characteristics of the world, then you're reflecting darkness. The Bible says lots about don't walk in darkness, walk in light. But notice nowhere in the Bible does it say stay to yourself. Just stay to yourself. Just worry about you. If you think Christianity is about you, you've totally missed the point. Christianity is about Christ, and it's about reflecting Jesus. And yes, you know, God did it for you, and he came for you, and he died for you personally. That's the personal relationship. But now you become a vessel. Now you become someone in the Lord's army, and you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to reflect the light of Christ into the world. He sent you there. Are you going? Are you going into the place that he sent you? Are you being the light that he's calling you to be? We need to understand our position, folks. I know many of us are, are focused on all kinds of things because living the adult life is hard. We, we, you know, you see the, the memes about adulting. Man, it's difficult, you know. You have to manage your time, don't you? You have to manage your expectations. You have to manage your you know, kind of how you live your life. You have to manage your lifestyle. I think that's so important for us to understand. We manage our lifestyle. Because, you know, we can certainly go after the things of the world for sure. And God will allow you to do that. But here's the thing, is that in pursuing those things, you're walking away from the really, the thing that matters at the end of the day. Can you pursue Christ and can you be blessed on the horizontal? Absolutely. And many people do that well. The question is, are you doing it well? The question is, do you have the priorities right? Do you understand your relationship with the world, that, that you're not of the world, like you're not trying to build anything here because it's going to perish, right? You, 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 you're called to take care of your family if you're married and you have kids and all of that. You have a responsibility to do that, but you also have a greater responsibility to, with the gospel and making sure that you take care of God's kingdom, that you're a vessel and you understand that no matter where he's placed you, it's for that purpose and that purpose only. Now, do you get blessed as a result? Absolutely. You know, what am I saying? Look at your life. What are you living for? It, are, are the things that you're pursuing things that are only of earthly good? Are they only going to amount to something here? Or... Is God using all of your, all of, listen, listen very carefully, all the talent he gave you? Is God, are you using all the giftings that he's given you? Are you using all the resources that he's given you to bring glory to his name or to bring fame to yourself? That's the question. And that's the difference between being totally eclipsed and shining the light is understanding your relationship with the world. That yes, you are sent into the world but you are not of the world. You have a different home, folks, and it is not here. And so we ought to live that way, right? Listen, when I go, we just went to Florida for a week. When I go down there, I don't set up shop like I'm going to live there forever. I go there, I enjoy it, and I know that I'm coming home. I know there's a time frame, and I know in that time frame I get to do certain things, and then I will be home with the Lord, or I will be home in Tennessee as it were. The same thing is with your Christian life. You only have so much time. I know this is in vacation. 
I understand that. But there's a mission. There's a mission involved. And if you mix up the priorities and you mix up the understanding, your relationship with the world, then you're going to miss it. Paul said this. He said, you know, he contrasts the world with, with the Christian. You know, he, he helps us understand that, you know, the, the, the Christian's called to be innocent. The world is crooked. The, 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 the Christian is called to be blameless. The world is crooked. The, the Christian is called to be innocent. The world is twisted. The world, the Christian is called to be light. The world is darkness. You see the differences? Innocence, blamelessness, child of God without blemish, or a crooked and twisted generation that lives in darkness. That is the difference, folks. Don't mistake it. Don't get mixed up in it. Don't miss out. And by the way, there is no neutral ground here. You're living for the Lord or you're not. Period. That's the reality. Jesus wants us to understand that. That's why he's prayed in his priestly prayer, Lord, help them understand that they are not of the world, but they are called to go in the world. This is not our home. We have a home in heaven where Christ has been for, over two, for nearly 2,000 years creating a place for you to go and to be with him. That where he is, there you may be also. Man, I can't wait for that time when the Lord, the trumpet sounds and he calls us home and we all long for that. But here's the thing is, I don't long for that if I'm not living for that now. I, it, listen, it, if, I, if I have no passion for Christ coming back, then I need to check my priorities on the horizontal and ask myself, am I really living for Christ? Because really, if I am, I want him to come back. I'm longing for him to come back. But I understand the mission, that I, that I have a mission to accomplish here. I need to be a light to the world. Paul tells us, listen, the second thing you want, if you want to shine brightly for Christ, you cannot mix up the understanding of your association with the world. You're not of the world, but you're called to go in the world. He goes on here. Thirdly, he wants us to understand that we're called to be palms up with everything. Look at verse 16. Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be uh, proud that you did not run in vain or labor in vain. Corey Tinboom said something profound. She said that you must learn, she probably said lots of things profound, but here's one of the things she said. You must learn to hold everything loosely. Everything. Even your dear family. Why? Because the father may wish to take one of them back to himself. And when he does, it will hurt you if he must pry your fingers loose. Here's a woman that understands hurt, understands pain, who lived in a concentration camp, who watched her family die, who understood the, 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 the pureness of evil. Just the, She saw pure evil being displayed right before her eyes. And she says, hey, you want to live for God? Do it like this. Palms up. Don't hold on to anything because it's all his. It all belongs to him. And if he chooses to take something out of your life, or take someone out of your life, if he has to pry from your hands, it's going to hurt a lot more. Just with the understanding of the sovereignty of God, that he's in control and that he knows what he's doing. Listen, we need to live a life 
palms up loosely holding everything in this life, including our spouses, our children, our careers, our finances, our possessions, because they all belong to the Lord. None of this is ours. It's all the Lord's. You might recall in section one of the gospel clause that you signed when you came to Christ that it says you were crucified. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. So there's a mandate for a believer that you allow Christ to use this earthly vessel to shine out into the world. You, you, you've given him over full control. You said, here's the keys to my life. You take control. It's not about me anymore. Uh, it's all about you. Now, pre-Christ, it was all about you, wasn't it? I mean, it was all about you. You, you, you lived to pamper yourself. You lived to, to, you know, prop yourself up, to make yourself famous, all of those things, to present yourself in the best way that you possibly can. But when you come to Christ... All that vainglory should fade because it's not about you. It's about Christ. It's a dying to self. That's why Jesus said, if anybody, listen to these words very carefully, if anyone desires to follow me, he must what? Deny himself. That's the first clause in following Christ. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. Whatever you call me to, I will do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That means live sacrificially. In whatever he asks you to do, you do it. Whatever the cross might be. And then you follow him on the path that he lays before you. That's biblical Christianity, folks. I don't know what we call what we do here now. I don't know. In fact, you know, you see in our culture today, and I'm not going to rant on this very long, but I am going to say something. Because there, there are people put in places in our world today They're put there by God. They're not put there because they're great singers. They're not put there because they're great speakers. They're not put there, although on the earthly, earthly, you know, on the horizontal, they may be those things. But that's not why they're there. They're there because God put them there that they might be a voice box for him. And And it irks me when I see somebody given a huge platform And then they cower back because they're worried about their fans. They're worried about what what will happen on the horizontal if they stand up for Jesus. There's been plenty of actors who have stood up for Christ who no longer are able to work in Hollywood. But that's the price you pay. But it's not about you. If you. If you've been given a platform, do not make it about you. You make it about Jesus. And, and all the more, the platform that you've been given, make sure that you can give an answer for the hope that lies within you. You don't say, well, geez, I just don't know about that. Does the Bible say anything about that? Is that really a response from a Christian that is in a platform of being able to speak on God's behalf? You have a responsibility to know the Word of God. And it doesn't take that much, folks. <laughs> and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm just saying that irritates me, to see somebody given a platform where they, they are more worried about what the world will think of them and, and their response than they will about the truth of the Word of God. And I can't judge somebody, but I can stand up and say, listen, that's not right. That is absolutely not right. And I wouldn't follow a person that will not stand up for Jesus. And, and if you ever see me do that, I, I would hope this church would be empty. I would hope that you would not stay 
under the pulpit of a person who doesn't have the gall to teach the word of God as it is and try and water it down because I'm worried about putting people in the seats. It's, 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 it, it's a sad thing that people are doing in this culture today. And, you know, particularly with the platforms they've been given. Paul says we're called to hold fast to the word of life. That word there, hold fast, does not mean to cling on to. Although in many, many places in the Bible, that's exactly what it means. But in this particular case, it also has the meaning of offering up or holding loosely on to. What is the context of what he's saying here? What is he supposed to hold, on, hold fast to? The word life, what is that? The scriptures. Is he telling you to cling to the scriptures and hold them back so that nobody can see them? Or is he t- calling you to offer them up to a dark world and let your light shine? We're talking about being a witness. We're talking about letting your light shine. We're talking about be, being obedient to God. And he's saying in this context, hold fast means to offer up to offer up the gospel to people who don't have it, to not cower back to the culture. He's talking about, you know, submitting everything that you have to the Lord and allowing him to work, the word of life. He's calling you to bring the gospel into the world. Now, contrary to popular belief, you do need to use words to do that. I know we like to, say, we like to make up these little cliche sayings in Christianity hey, share the gospel and use words if you have to. You do need to use words. You really do. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it was written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed which he has heard from us? So, listen to this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I get what people are saying about the not share share the gospel with your life, right? I mean, yeah, that's a way to shine the light. It is the way that we're called to demonstrate. But there comes a time where you got to use words where you are holding fast, literally you're offering up the gospel to people, and God will open the window. Now, here's the other side of it, is too many people, you know, there are many, many people out there that are, you know, offering up the gospel in situations they shouldn't be. You know, Jesus said that we're called to be wise as serpents and as gentle as doves, right? We don't walk into the middle of the mall and say, you're all going to hell. You know, I mean, that's true. If, I mean, I don't know if they're all going to hell, but I mean, that's true if you're not in a relationship with Christ. So you got to be careful about how you use the light and when you use the light and, you know, in terms of your words. But, but we are called to use words. And let me just say this. It gets awkward. I'm sorry. It does. Why? Because we're, this is a matter of life and death, folks, right? We're talking eternal damnation versus eternal, uh, you know, eternal life with God, right? So probably going to get a little awkward. I don't think it's real comfortable for a doctor to walk into a room and say, I'm sorry you have three months to live. I'm pretty sure that's pretty awkward for him, but he does it anyway. Why? Because they need to know the truth. And for Christians in this day and age, in this culture, to hold back the truth is like the doctor holding back a, a, um, re- the reality for his patient. God has given you a responsibility to hold fast the word of life. You, it, when, when Jesus was asked in John chapter 6, 
you know, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part from me. And do you know the reference for the response to that is John 666, by the way. And it says this, and they departed and walked with him no more. And then Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he said, do you guys want to go too? And Peter responded like this. He said, you have the words of life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? And he put his word of eternal life inside you so that you can represent him in this world. Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. Listen, so that the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What he's saying is he's the pastor of these people. And he's saying what every pastor wants to say to all his people. Man, apply the word of God. Get it in your life and live it out and do it, man. I want to rejoice with you in, in the Bema Sea judgment when God is dishing out his, his jewels. I want to rejoice with you. Paul is saying, I, didn't, I don't want to feel like I've labored in vain, that I've ran in vain, that everything that I, that, that, that I did was pointless because people didn't, because it fell on a deaf ear. He's saying, man, I encourage you to hold fast the word of life. Fourthly and lastly, he calls all of us, we want to shine brightly. This is probably one of the most important ones. You got to be all in. You got to be all in. Even if I am, verse 17, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Notice here, uh, Paul speaking about being poured out as a drink offering. He, he, th this is speaking about a libation. It was a type of offering in the Old Testament in the, in the, uh, the, the service of the temple where the priest, after he would take a sacrifice and he would slay the sacrifice up, he put it on the altar and it would begin to burn. And remember, the aroma from that sacrifice pleased the Lord. Well, if somebody wanted to offer an additional sacrifice to the Lord to say, I'm all in, then they would bring a drink offering. And the, the priest would take that drink offering and he would either, and it would be either wine or it would be a mixture of honey and water. And they would pour it either on the offering or they would pour it before the altar. And they're saying to God, I'm all in. I'm 100% in. There's my sacrifice and here am I. And I'm being poured out. And Paul is saying, the sacrifice that is, being, that, that is being laid upon the altar is the sacrifice of the Philippians. What is he talking about? He's talking about the financial contributions that they've made to him in order that he might uh, continue on with the gospel. And what does he do? I'm the drink offering. I'm all in. I am taking all those proceeds that you're giving me, and I'm using them to further the gospel, and that's exactly what he did. By the way, he's in prison because of the gospel. So he's there. He's there as a result of being a drink offering. And look at his attitude, though. Look at his attitude. I am glad and rejoice with you all. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying, my attitude, being shackled to Roman soldiers day and night, is one of gladness and rejoicing. Why? Because I get to share the gospel with all these guys. Because I'm sharing the gospel no matter where I am, I'm all in. I'm sharing the gospel with these people. You get diagnosed with a disease and you've got to go to the doctor, you share the, doc you share the gospel with the, with the people there. You know, you, you, 
you, you, you find yourself in some place that you never thought you'd intend to, or you didn't intend to be, and that's where you are. You share the gospel with people. That's how Paul lived his life. He's saying, so you too, rejoice and be glad no matter what's going on in your life. You can rejoice in it. Maybe you've made some mistakes, and you're, and you're resulting you know, in some, 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 you know, you got a tough road ahead of you. Listen, rejoice and be glad that Christ came and that he's at work and use that platform, whatever it is. Start somewhere, wherever you are. You start there and you just use the platform to share Christ with people. That's what Paul's saying. He had an all-in mentality, man. And he wants this Philippian church to also be all-in. Not only are they called to be sacrificial in their giving, but they're called to be all-in too. The reality is this. Incandescent Christianity will cost you something. Do you know that? It's going to cost you friends. I'm sorry. It's going to cost you maybe notoriety. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you. It's going to cost you. It costs Jesus. It's going to cost you. But that doesn't mean you hold light back. Listen, you shine your light no matter where you are, and you shine it bright. For greater is the reward in heaven than the reward on earth. What good does it do, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and yet a person loses his soul? Man, shine your light. It's a matter of life and death. You're, you have the words of life that you've been given. And God says, go out and share the words of life with people. I want to encourage you to do three things this week from, from what we've talked about here today. Three things. You ready? All right. Number one, be a proton and not an electron. Be positive in every circumstance. I know that's going to be hard, but do it. Do not let yourself complain. Do not allow yourself to argue about things. You, in all things, you, you, you submit yourself to the word of God and you say, I'm going to be positive. I will be positive in this circumstance. God, you're at work. And you might have to fast and pray. I don't know what we'll have to do. But be positive. Take the word of God seriously. Don't do anything with grumbling and complaining. Do all things without it. Right? That's number one. Number two, share the gospel with somebody. Share the gospel with somebody. I want to challenge you to take the words of life out to somebody, whoever God puts in your path, and share the word with them. Hey, however that comes out, whatever that looks like, share the gospel with somebody. I promise you, if you look for an opportunity, God will give you one. Listen, he is, <laughs> the Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm pretty sure he'll use you. Just say, God, here I am. I'm ready. I will share the gospel with somebody this week. I promise you, if you give me an opportunity, are you bold enough to say that today? You say that to him he will give you an opportunity. And you know what? When he does, I, I would love to hear what the Lord did in that situation. Hey, I just shared the gospel with a kid a couple, week, couple days ago. And you know what? And it got awkward for a second. But I don't care. Because you know what? That kid's going to hell if he doesn't know Jesus. And that's what I care about. And I don't care how uncomfortable that makes me feel or anybody else feel. Share the gospel with somebody. Listen, if the gospel was good enough for you, then it's good enough for them. Amen? You share the gospel. Thirdly, 
Be a sacrifice in some way this week. Some way, sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice your time, your talents, your finances. Sacrifice yourself somehow that people might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And when they say, oh man, why did you do that? You can tell them, because God loves you. And maybe that will open up the door for you to share the gospel. Three things. Be positive in, be positive in all things, right? Share the gospel with somebody and be a sacrifice. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just what an incredible four verses we have here, Lord. So much meat inside of these verses. And yet now it comes to the application part, which is the most important part. Theology is great. It's important that we rightly divide your word. But it's also very important that we apply it. And so here we are, Lord. We've just heard the commands of your word written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. We're called to be positive in every circumstance, understanding that you are at work. Lord, we're called to go into the world, but not become of the world. God, we've got to shine our light. We can't allow the darkness to consume us and us just become part of the darkness, but we remain who we are called to be, the light to this dark world. God, that you would continue to help us to be palms up with the gospel, Lord, that we would hold fast the word of life, that we would offer it up to those around us. But we ask you to do that in a way, Lord, that, that we wouldn't defame you. We ask you to give us the faith and the boldness that we need, Lord. And finally, God, we want to just maybe this morning... Just say for the first time to you, I'm all in, God. I am all in, whatever you want me to do. Because I recognize that this is not about me. That Christ came willingly, then he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he offered himself up, all in. Not for me to sit on the sidelines, but for me to be all in too. And so, Lord, with every eye bowed, every, every heart open, Lord, would you just give us the boldness today to just commit ourselves to you? If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand up. I want to pray over you. If you're saying, hey, I wanna, I'm going to commit my every being to the Lord, that he's, all, that he's all mine. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. I'm all in today, Lord. If that's you, God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everything over now, Lord, to you. If that's you, again, this is a declaration between you and the Lord. I just want to pray for you. Anyone else? Father, for those that lifted their hands today, Lord, you know. You know why they lifted their hands, and you know that they're making a declaration to you. Emphatically, Lord, I lift my hand. I want to say to you, Lord, that, hey, I'm, I'm all in as well. Whatever you want to do, Lord, in our lives, we commit to you, and we ask you, Lord, to take us into the world, that we would uh, be a light, Lord. Help us to shine brightly and rightly, Lord. Help us to be those innocent and blameless people, the children of God.
that are unblemished, Lord. And I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I know that's their heart as well. And I ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, even now. That we commit ourselves to you, Lord. And we thank you for giving us this text this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.